Along the banks of the Hudson River, roughly halfway between New York City and Albany, lies one of the country's most famous centers of culinary learning, the Culinary Institute of America. Countless chefs have passed through its venerable Roth Hall, a signature behemoth of a building dating back to the early 1900s. Roth Hall houses a variety of classrooms, kitchens, dining rooms, and administrative offices. And like many universities... It is home to its share of legends. Are the lights on? Good. Welcome to Listen with the Lights On. I'm Jessica Blaustein Marshall. And I'm Patrick Garrett. The Culinary Institute of America was founded in 1946 in New Haven, Connecticut. It was originally created as a training school for veterans returning from World War II on the GI Bill. What started as a small storefront in New Haven outgrew two buildings by the late 1960s. A nationwide search for an adequate facility landed on the property of St. Andrew on Hudson in Hyde Park, New York. The Jesuits who owned the property were consolidating and moving to Syracuse. The CIA bought the property in 1970 and spent two years renovating it. My experience was now you have to take it by my, my word, okay? Chef Fritz Sonnenschmidt started at the Culinary Institute of America in 1968 and went on to a distinguished teaching career there for 34 years. He's one of a handful of certified master chefs in the world. It's the highest level of certification a chef can achieve. The exam to become one is a grueling multi-day test. Fritz took that test in the early days of the school's presence in Hyde Park. The day he was tested on American cuisine was also his first encounter with the legendary Father Murphy, the apparition said to haunt the kitchens of the CIA. And the day came and we were down to see at the, the meat fabrication room, but at the Jesuit days was really there their storeroom and their wine cellar. Students always talked about, you know, funny noises and everything. this. But anyway, I was down there, uh, and I looked at the table, and there was everything there. We had to pick a lottery uh, ticket, and uh, I got number 10. And, of course, uh, everything went. The, the pork loin, the turkey, uh, the salmon. And the only thing was left to see when I was, uh, I think it was a duck and a shank of veal. And I had no idea what to do with it. I didn't think of it. And suddenly I heard a voice. And I swear even today I heard a very deep voice who said to me, roast that damn duck, roast it. <laughs> now, uh, and that's what I did. I started to butterfly the duck, you know, and uh, make a stuffing, you know, and uh, I named my dish roast stuffed duck Georgia style. Right after uh, Father and, uh, Murphy. I got an A+. Plus. And I still can swear it was Father Murphy which put me in the direction. It was a very deep voice. And the funny thing was, uh, it's about a year ago, we had a, a, a television show uh, come in to research Father Murphy. They got a recording. What they heard was what she called a voice going, like a prayer song. Mm. And it was the same deep voice which I remembered talked to me down in the in the, in the meat room. I love the story about uh, Father Murphy instructing you exactly what to do. It sounds like he's a chef of his own. Well, so that's what people said. How can a Jesuit be a chef? But I put a couple of things <laughs> together. But uh, first of all, what it was, was the storeroom. 
for the uh, the Jesuits, uh, what's he called it? Above that was the kitchen, and mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, if I assume as he, maybe he was one of the the uh, the Jesuits working uh, in the kitchen. We met CIA communications director Jeff Levine on campus. We followed him down winding hallways to a kitchen in the back basement. So you said we're standing in a kitchen right now that used to be a mausoleum. Can you talk about that a little bit? Now it's called K-12, Kitchen 12, which is our practical test kitchen. This is where the students take their cooking exams. Uh, So there's a lot of stress for our students in this kitchen. But the, the location used to be the mausoleum. We are right underneath the main chapel from the Jesuit days, and it was a mausoleum. When the Culinary Institute of America was planning to move here and started renovating, they had to move the bodies from here. So they moved the bodies from here to the cemetery, which is just a few hundred yards away. But as legend has it, one of the caskets opened up and a body fell out, and we wonder if that may be one of the people haunting haunting us to this day. That could be Father Murphy? It, that could be Father Murphy. Now, the, the legend of Father Murphy, there were a lot of Jesuits here named Murphy. Um, at the cemetery, there are several gravestones that do say Murphy, but it's hard to know if any one of those is, is the Father Murphy or if it's sort of an amalgamation of, of many of the, the old priests who were here. Or the imagination of some students who were a little stressed out at you know, studying for finals. Or it could be the imagination of some students as well. Do you get a sense that like this is a, something that everybody knows about and talks about? A lot of people do um, talk about it and joke about it. Uh, I don't know that every student knows the, the legend. Most of the faculty do, especially um, faculty members who were students here and are now on the faculty. They like sharing the legend and, and, and passing it on to their students. Uh, but from what I hear from from those people who were students here and are now on the faculty who have had these experiences, that Father Murphy isn't necessarily a scary figure. Um, some say he's even reassuring and can can give you guidance in what to do during your practical exam in, in K-12. Has anyone ever used Father Murphy or any of the, you know, the fact that it was a mausoleum as an excuse of why maybe they... Their souffle didn't work out. That may be a question for the uh, for the professor who's teaching this class. So. Like instead of the dog eating your homework, it was Father Murphy. Father Murphy uh, burnt the soup, or yeah. When we left the kitchens, we headed outside to visit the Jesuit cemetery behind Roth Hall. Arranged in tight, tidy rows, the whitewashed gravestones date back as far as the late 1800s. So this is the old. This is the old Jesuit cemetery. This is where they moved all of the bodies? This is where they moved those bodies, yeah. The cemetery is still owned and managed by the Diocese of New York. And buried here are many old uh, Jesuits, um, priests and uh, novices, people who were studying for the priesthood. Interestingly enough, in this cemetery is uh, buried one of the great... um, philosophers of the 20th century, uh, Father Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, uh, one of the great uh, thinkers, philosophers. He was uh, uh, both a a priest and an anthropologist. Uh, He wrote um, many books on philosophy and thought and um, was a pretty controversial figure of the early to mid-20th century. Died on Easter Sunday, 1955 in New York City and is buried here. And we get pilgrims from all over the world that come to visit his gravestone. 
There is a great story uh, about the Jesuits when they first came to what became St. Andrew on Hudson in 1901. Uh, the train uh, stopped, the last stop on the line was in Poughkeepsie, and they had to walk the last four miles in a snowstorm in January to get here. The first group of, uh, of Jesuits that were coming to study here, uh, they, they had taken a train up from uh, Maryland. But the day before, uh, the cook came up ahead. So when they got here, there was a hot meal waiting for them. And so this um, property has always been a place where people could get a good hot meal. Until now, Jeff had been telling us about other people's encounters with Father Murphy. But now he tells us his own tale in the catacombs beneath Roth Hall. Because of course there are catacombs beneath Roth Hall. Why wouldn't there be? He just opened the closet door and it doesn't appear to go anywhere. Are we going to Narnia? Well, it is in a closet. Welcome to Narnia. A wardrobe. There's no clothes here. We don't know what we're going to find, right? Oh my goodness, okay. We are now in a uh, teaching kitchen at the Culinary Institute of America called K15, Kitchen 15. It teaches cuisines of the Americas. In one corner of that kitchen is a door, and if you open that door, there is a little trap door behind it that brings you down into the catacombs. I'm not lying. I'm, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> well, let's go take a look. Uh, ladies first. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. nice. <laughs> All right, I'm going down. Oh, man, this is a tight squeeze. Hey, don't stand up. You're going to hit your head. So welcome to the catacombs. We are underneath the main building, what used to be known as St. Andrew on Hudson, a misnomer is that this is where bodies were stored. This was just a storage area and passageways underneath, um, and the catacombs did lead to um, other exits away from the building. There were pathways and sort of caves and caverns and, and such, um, but no bodies were buried here. But a little story, when I was here um, showing this to the crew from Ghost Hunters, we came on a Sunday... There was, uh, because it was a Sunday, there was only one facilities person on call on staff at the time who came downstairs with us down here into the catacombs. And as we're down here talking like I'm talking to you, we heard the door slam. And we thought, okay, so the door closed, but that's okay. When we get up, we'll just open the door and, and get out. But when it came time to, to get out, turn the handle, and the handle turned but it didn't catch, so there was no way to open the door, and we were trapped here. With the one person who had the key, was trapped here with us. How did you get out? So we didn't. We died. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually had people had to come and take the door off to get us out. We say as this podcast never airs. <laughs> the question is, was that a, a, a coincidence, or was that Father Murphy playing a little game on... Not only me, but on the, on the crew from, uh, uh, from Ghost Hunters. So when we came down today, we are propping the door open to make sure that doesn't happen. I, I heard you make a call beforehand. Is that just to make sure we don't get trapped <laughs> down here? If somebody knows that we're down here, if something happens, exactly. Our final leg of this ghostly tour of the CIA was a trip to the attic. So a lot of strange things have been uh, known to have happened in the freight elevator so we are naturally going into this freight elevator now. Now we only went up three. We're going to walk the other two. 
Along the way, we picked up Senior Director of Faculty Relations, Joseph Morano, who relayed his experience with Father Murphy, or something, up in the building's eaves. It's a good old creepy old attic. Let's take a look. Now, you get an idea here, it's pretty dark. Yeah, it's really dark. You almost can't see anything. Right, exactly. You see little bits of light streaming in, which, as you can imagine, could be pretty creepy. Now, I've been here, I'm going to be going on six years in another couple of months. When I first got here, May of 2011, I was a new guy. That fall, I was asked to go up to the attic and get a couple of boxes. And I said, okay, give me the key to the attic. Got the key to the attic, came up to the attic. People joked around with me about Father Murphy, who I thought was actually a priest that was walking these grounds. I didn't know it was a non-person. But I didn't think anything of it. So uh, I came up here, opened the cage up, walked in the cage, and it was not as neat as it is now. Many of us cleaned it up. And I was looking for a box. And I had to move some boxes around. And as I had my head in the cage like this, because I couldn't go all the way in, I kept on hearing creaking behind me, thinking it was a person. I stopped, and I went over here and said, anybody there? No one was there. I went back. I then thought I heard footsteps behind me. This door was closed. Again, the lights weren't all on. It was like dark. I thought, again, someone was there. So I continued to do what I was doing and looking for the box. Then again, I heard footsteps the third time. After the third time, I just said, all right, you know, it's my imagination. It's October. The wind's blowing, whatever. I went back, and at some point, I got a tap on my shoulder, and I thought someone was goofing around. And I turned around, and there was no one there. And then I, again, thought it was a goof, and I said, no, maybe it's not a goof. I found the box, and I was looking for the box. I had two boxes. I get another tap on the shoulder. So both times, I turned around, and at that point, I had my boxes. I locked the door, pulled it closed, and uh, closed this door, ran down with the boxes, handed the key back. Didn't say anything because I'm a new guy, and, you know, you don't want to say, oh, yeah, by the way, I went into the attic. I think it's haunted. Uh, and I didn't really tell anybody for a little while until our admin downstairs said to me, um, so uh, safety said you left all the doors op- wide open and the lights on. I said, no, I didn't. I turned off the lights and I locked the doors. And they said, well, they went up there and that wasn't true. So safety apparently came back up here and everything that I had locked was wide open and the lights were on. What? So, yeah, a couple of weeks after that, I didn't talk about it. A few of our staff members mentioned it. And then when Ghost Hunters came along, and I think Jeff sent the email saying, anybody have any interesting experiences? Myself and a few other people said, well, yeah, we had this sort of Father Murphy kind of thing that happened. So whether it's Father Murphy or not, the stuff that any of us experience is not menacing. It's more sort of playful or goofy. But um, no one's had anything bad happen. It's just sort of, gee, that's really neat. And I think uh, at this stage, it's more of an amusement. Meanwhile, Chef Fritz told us many more stories about ghostly encounters in Roth Hall that occurred during his impressive three-decade tenure there. So it sounds like you're a, a bona fide believer of uh, Father Murphy. Or are you more yeah, on the I, believe, I, I think he, he, he was there to really um, not harm, or is there not to harm. Hmm. Uh, and uh, he was more there, there to, um, uh, to educate. I'll give you another example. This happened also. In spring and in fall, we get very heavy... A fog, you know, in, uh, in Poughkeepsie, in the Hudson Valley. Very strong, you know, like the London fog, so to speak. Yeah. And it, right there where the old mausoleum uh, was, which is now a, a kitchen, further up the road there was a, uh, a diner, which uh, during the day was a classroom, and at nighttime 
was the, the social uh, uh, place for the students. And when they walked from here, at that time they had to walk, uh, and pass by the, uh, the mausoleum to get back to their dorms. And suddenly, out of nowhere, came a shadowy black figure, like a monk, like a pastor in our deal, which I know, hmm. uh, and, um, and stopped people. And when they started walking on, it disappeared. And so uh, everybody said, well, if you drink a little too much, you know, Father Murphy is going to get after you. Remember the old days when they had these yellow lamps now, like, a, it's not a gas lamp, but an electric lamp now, which now was in the parking lot? Yeah, when they first started uh, bringing yeah, them Yeah, and when, yeah. He, when he passed by them, your shadow played against the fog. And it looked like a, a, a shadowy figure was coming towards you as he was going towards the mausoleum. So it's definitely and physical. Disappeared, okay? hmm. So just the only... Uh, explanation I could give uh, naturally. And then the funny thing was that at that time the students streaked through the, uh, the school. Two students were streaking and the safety uh, guys were after them. Uh, and right there where that spot was, Father Murphy came out of the, the thing and they stopped and mm-hmm. they got caught. Of course, the whole school said, well, Father Murphy, <laughs> watched out to see that he don't streak. So there may be all incidents, but they were, they were so real. The, the, the legend of Father Murphy got bigger and bigger and bigger. I went up. We were in the attic where, you know, there were supposedly sightings and uh, things. And I'm, I'm up there. I'm like, I'm not really feeling it. But when I get back, I checked with the tapes that I had while I was up there because I just had them running the whole time, the audio tapes. And I actually hear this strange sound, and it does sound a little bit like a deep hum. It's October, the wind's blowing, whatever. I went back, and at some point, I got a tap on my shoulder. And I thought someone was goofing around. Yeah, I and I turned around, and there was no one there. It's the part, it's an old building, you know. And, mm. you know, sometimes, uh, especially at the attic, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, little, you know, uh, a little scary up there being by myself, by, by, by yourself, you know. So, and you hear different noises, you know, the, the wood cracking, you know, maybe the wind, who knows. Thanks for joining us. Listen with the Lights On is a production of WAMC. Our theme music is Grizzly Reminder by Midnight Syndicate. For more spine-tingling tales, check out our podcast or head over to WAMC.org. 